Coming up, a novel that's just the kind of book I think of when I think summer read. A new book from one of my favorite authors of the season. Plus our distraction of the week. I'm Mel. I'm Dave. This is the Library of Lost Time. Imagine if a haunted house and a roller coaster were mashed together and then turned into a novel. That's what author Riley Sager's books are like. They're just a thrill ride from beginning to end with twists, turns, interesting characters, and they kind of leave you a little breathless when they're over, like when the roller coaster pulls into the station. Everybody's sitting there clapping and, and laughing. Yeah. He's written seven novels with fun, spooky setups, and they tend to be released just in time for summer. He's done a riff on the Amityville horror story, a take on the final girl trope, and a gothic twist on Manhattan apartment life. His new book, The Only One Left, is inspired by the legend of Lizzie Borden. Oh, all right. For people who are not familiar, in 1892, an American woman named Lizzie Borden was accused of killing her father and her stepmother with an axe. There's even a creepy rhyme about her. Do you know this rhyme? Yeah. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Yeah. So creepy and terrible, but also, ooh, I love it. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I heard that for the first time when I was eight on a playground. Yes. Lizzie Borden captured my imagination at just the right time of being a kid. Yeah. She was acquitted, but she's never lost her creepy reputation, and she shows up in pop culture all the time. Also, she was older than you might think. Yeah, she was 32. I thought she was a teenager. Yeah. In this novel... It's 1983, and a home caregiver named Kit has been hired to tend to Lenora Hope. Lenora is 71 years old, and she lives in her family's isolated mansion on a cliff overlooking the sea in Maine. It sits right on the edge of the cliff. She's frail, paralyzed, she can't speak, and when she was 17, back in 1929, She was accused of brutally murdering her father, mother, and sister. Whoa. Very Lizzie Borden-esque. Yes. As Kit, the caregiver, gets to know the elderly lady, secrets about both of them are revealed in spectacular fashion. One of my favorite parts is that Riley Sager created a spooky rhyme about Lenora's crimes, and it is very, very good. I devoured this book in about 36 hours. I couldn't put it down. It's super fun with plot twists that are really surprising, but also are well-earned and make perfect sense when they're revealed. So it's not like coming out of nowhere. Right. It's just that you didn't think of it. Yeah. And Riley Sager did. Those are the best, yeah. <laughs> toward the last third of the book, I felt like I was just speeding towards the ending. And the ending is Awesome. This, to me, is a perfect summer read. It's The Only One Left by Riley Sager. My book is The Art Thief, a true story of love, crime, and a dangerous obsession by Michael Finkel. Michael Finkel is the author of The Stranger in the Woods, a book I talked about in our main episode. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, you love that book. I did. That book is about a man who lived alone in the woods for 27 years. For the record, I am still not over that premise. That is a long time to be in the woods. I would have picked up Michael Finkel's next book based on how much I enjoyed that, but also. The Art Thief is about another man living far outside the norm. His name is Stefan Breitweiser, and according to many, he is the most prolific art thief alive and maybe ever. Unlike most art thieves, 
Brightweezer was not in it for the money. He did it for the love. He had stolen over 300 objects, and then he put those in a pair of secret rooms at his house so he could look at them. I mean, if you're going to steal art, at least that's a well-motivated reason. Yeah. And his career as an art thief was going just fine until one day in a solid act of hubris, it all came tumbling down. What did he do? I can't tell you that. Oh. The New Yorker said this book, quote, like its title character, has confidence, elan, and a great sense of timing. I'm very excited to see what it's all about. It just came out last week. It's The Art Thief, A True Story of Love, Crime, and a Dangerous Obsession by Michael Finkel. And now our distraction of the week. Today I want to tell you about the sad gothic story of Ida Wood. Ida Wood? Yep. Ida was a New York socialite in the mid-1800s. She came to New York City in 1857 at 19, the age of 19, as Ida Mayfield. And she quickly became interested in Benjamin Wood, who at the time ran a newspaper. And when she met him, Benjamin was married, but that did not stop Ida from pursuing him. In May of 1857, a few months after she got to town, she wrote him a letter. That letter said, Having heard of you often... I venture to address you from hearing a young lady, one of your former loves, speak of you. She says you are fond of new faces. I fancy that I am new in the city and in affairs de corps that I might contract an agreeable intimacy with you of as long duration as you saw fit to have it. Wow, very bold. Yes. I believe that I am not extremely bad looking nor (laughs) disagreeable, perhaps not quite as handsome as the lady with you at present. But I know a little more, and there is an old saying, knowledge is power. If you would wish an interview, address a letter to North Broadway, P.O., New York, stating what time we may meet, which was pretty hot for 1857. Yes, that is very forward. (laughs) So they met, and Ida was, in fact, not extremely bad looking. Many of the descriptions of her talk about her ivory skin and her beautiful profile and her sad but mysterious eyes. She introduced herself as the daughter of a Louisiana sugar baron and a descendant of an earl. Benjamin was entranced, and Ida became his mistress for the next 10 years. Wow. Until his wife died. And then Ida and Benjamin got married. And at the time, people looked the other way about their daughter, Emma, who was born before they got wed. Ida led a high-octane life for the next 30 years or so. Benjamin was elected to Congress. His brother became mayor of New York. Ida hosted fancy balls and took long trips to Europe. She wore the most fashionable clothes and jewelry. She had access to New York's social and cultural elite. She was on top of it. She danced with the Prince of Wales. She met Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) And she went for a carriage ride with Benjamin every afternoon around 4 o'clock along Fifth Avenue, which I'm guessing was very delightful. Mm Mm-hmm. At one point, she even bought an interest in his paper, and she became one of the first female publishers of a large metropolitan newspaper. And she was not just the money. She involved herself in the day-to-day operations and wrote many editorials for the paper. All of that was going just fine until about 1900, when Benjamin died. And then two things happened. First, she inherited his money. It was about a million dollars. Oh, that's pretty good money then. Yeah, it's about $21 in today's money. And second, it all got to be a little too much. In 1907, at the age of 69, Ida declared she was, quote, tired of everything, 
and she checked into a suite at the Herald Square Hotel with her sister Mary and her daughter Emma, and they erased themselves from the narrative. The three of them lived there as recluses for many, many years, rarely, if ever, leaving that room. Whoa. The daughter died in a hospital in 1928, but that was the first time she'd been out of the hotel in years. She was 71. Wow. And Sister Mary died in the room in 1931, 24 years after they had checked in. When Mary died, the hotel physician called a lawyer friend of his to come and investigate the scene. The lawyer, Morgan O'Brien Jr., arrived and he spoke to the hotel manager. The manager said he had never seen the women. Oh my gosh. O'Brien talked to the floor maid. She said in the years she had been there, she had only twice slipped the ladies clean sheets and towels. Wow. But the bellhop, the bellhop said that for many years... He knocked on their door once a day, and the women always requested the same items. Evaporated milk, crackers, coffee, bacon, and eggs. What were they doing with those things? They would, Evaporated milk in their coffee, I guess. I would, yeah, assume. And maybe they drank it? I don't know. And occasionally, they'd ask for fish, snuff, Havana cigars, and jars of petroleum jelly. Hmm. I'd like to put it on her face. I like to think of them sitting around smoking cigars. Uh As a special treat every once in a while. Ida always tipped a dime, saying it was the last money she had in the world. Ida died the following year. She had been lying to that bellhop. She had a good deal of money. They turned up three quarters of a million dollars in bills in her room. (laughs) Ida. They found a diamond necklace and an old box of crackers They eventually unearthed 54 trunks of stuff in the hotel's basement and an uptown warehouse. Investigators found lace and gowns and tiaras and gold certificates and a letter to her husband from Charles Dickens. Wow, cool. (laughs) Yeah. And there was also a will in which Ida left her estate to her daughter and her sister, who were now both dead. And there was a court case about the wealth she left behind. Eventually, 1,100 people made a claim to her fortune. Wow. Producing all kinds of details about how they were relatives. And then we get to the third and final act of Ida Wood's life. She was not who she claimed to be. (laughs) She was born Ellen Walsh. There was no Louisiana plantation in her life. She was not the descendant of an earl. Her parents were immigrants from Ireland. Her dad was a peddler. Ida had never been to New Orleans, and Emma, the woman Benjamin and Ida had claimed was their daughter, Uh was Ida's sister. Wow. Yeah. So who was Mary? Also her sister. Two sisters. Yeah. To this day, it is unclear how much Benjamin knew about his wife, whether he was in on the story and didn't care and took that to his grave, or if he was married to a woman for 33 years without knowing who she really was. In any case, Ida had been dead for six months before her story caught up with her. We will put links in the show notes if you're interested in learning more. What a bold little lady that Ida was. (laughs) Yeah, and a little sad, too. Yeah. She got old and a little paranoid and locked herself away with presumably the two people she could trust. Visit strongsenseofplace.com slash library for more details about all the books we discussed 
and to learn more about Ida Wood. Thanks for joining us in the Library of Lost Time. Remember to visit your local library and your independent bookstore to lose some time yourself. Stay curious. We'll talk to you soon.